Good morning, church. Great to be back in the uh, pulpit this morning. We're uh, in the book of Revelation, which has turned out to be a pretty challenging uh, book for us, and I'm excited to to preach in it. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, our senior pastor, Pastor Kelly, has been kind of walking us through the book, kind of a theme at a time. I think we're we're up to chapter 15 in the book of Revelation, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of continuing on in the series and moving through a couple more chapters, we're actually going to go back, and we're going to look closely at one of the seven churches that uh, are identified in the book of Revelation, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about and learning about and learning from one of those churches this morning. It's the church of Laodicea. And put a map up on the screen. It gives you an opportunity to kind of picture in your mind where this church is located. You see on the map, there's the seven churches identified in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. There's some specific words and instructions given to each of these churches. Laodicea is mentioned in chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. Before I read the scripture for us this morning, I wanted to give us just a little bit of context a little bit of understanding about the city, the place of Laodicea, because some of those, those things, the, the things we're about to learn about Laodicea, actually sort of play out in the text this morning. It's important we have some understanding about this place. The first thing I want to point out about Laodicea is that archaeologists and historians and anthropologists tell us that Laodicea was actually a very financially uh, wealthy city. It was, it was known in that World, that part of the world as a banking capital, uh, dealing with finances and, and those sorts of things was, was the, uh, a primary function of the, the city of Laodicea. In fact, in 61 AD, there was an earthquake in this area, and Rome uh, offered to help financially with these cities and help, help them rebuild. And Laodicea is actually mentioned as a, a place that refused the help of Rome and instead built the city, them, built, rebuilt their city themselves. Just a, a symbol of the, the wealth that they had as a city. Second, second thing about Laodicea is that they were known for their, their medicine. And in particular, they, they were known for creating uh, an ointment that you put on your eyes, which I know is, is really specific that I point that out. But as you see, it's, it's going to play its, its, itself out here in the text this morning. The Laodiceans, for, for one reason or another, whether it was the mineral content in the, the ground there or, um, or something about it, they, they came up with this medical product. And people would travel from all over the place to get this eye ointment. If you just, even if you Google just Laodicean uh, eye ointment, there's all this information that comes up about what, uh, what was going on. But they were known for their, their finances their medicine, particularly this eye ointment. And then third, they were known for making a black cloth, some black fabric that came from a, a special type of, of uh, sheep that they had there in Laodicea. It was this luxurious fabric that they made, and people, again, would travel for, from all over. They would sell this, and it was this luxurious sort of item that they had. So finance and medicine and clothing, this, this unique kind of clothing. So let's read the, the scripture this morning. I'll read it aloud. You can follow along on the screen or on your phone, whatever. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's Revelation 3, uh, verses 14 through 22. 
to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I will counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich with white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and, and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, let's unpack the text a little bit this morning. We've got some, some interesting things to learn and, and things that will apply to us as a church and to us as followers of Jesus. First off, Jesus starts this, this communication, his words to the church in Laodicea by declaring who he is and defining himself. He gives this really clear definition of who he is. He says, I am the amen. I am the amen. Which for most of us, like the word amen is kind of like, okay, I'm done praying. We can open our eyes now. Right? Like, amen. Okay, we're done. Like this ending clause. But, but what amen really means is it's this powerful proclamation that, that it's saying, so it be because of me, or let it be true because of me, or let it be fulfilled because of me. So Jesus is, is declaring when he says, I am the amen, he's saying, I am the fulfillment. I am the one that makes this happen. I am the, the powerful one here. I am the amen. I am the, the one that fulfills. I am the one that makes these promises happen. He also says that he is faithful and true. So he's the true, faithful, amen. And then he says he is the ruler of all of God's creation. This is who Jesus is, and, and this is who is speaking to this church in Laodicea. Jesus then goes on to say, I know your deeds. I know what you're up to, Laodicea. I know what you're doing. I know your behavior. I see what you're up to. The choices that you're making and the places that you go and the things that you do, I see you. I notice you. I see what you're up to. And he says to them that your deeds, your actions in life, the decisions that you're making, the places that you go, the choices that, you, that you're doing or you're, you're, you're making, they're neither hot nor cold. They're, they're lukewarm. They're lukewarm. And, and because they're lukewarm, Jesus says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Be honest here, the, the translation of spit you out of my mouth is actually a little gentle here. A better translation would be, it makes me want to vomit. Your actions, Laodicea, the things that you're doing, your deeds, what you're involved in and how you're behaving, they make me sick, is what Jesus is saying here. 
the idea that they have, gone, they have, have grown lukewarm and that is distasteful to Jesus. He wants to spit them out of his mouth. This idea of lukewarm. Let's spend a minute talking about lukewarm, what that means, what Jesus is getting at here. If you've been in, in the church or around Christian circles long enough, this word pops up often, right? Lukewarm. What does it mean to be lukewarm? And we don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. We want to be, we want to be a hot Christian, right? This blazing hot for Jesus. We don't, we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot. Sometimes that teaching goes on and says things like, you know, just, just identify yourself. If you're, if you're not on board with Jesus, just tell us that you're cold. Like Jesus would rather have you be cold than to be sometimes a Christian or sort of lukewarm. That this is used to tell people that you need to be hot. And if you're not hot, then, then, then let us know and, and, and be cold because Jesus would rather have you be that. Well, that's, that's really not what this teaching is about. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here, that he'd rather have people identify that they aren't following him so that he can spit them out. That's not what's going on here. This is not about eternal salvation or anything like that, that if you're, if you're not white hot, then Jesus is going to spit you out of his life and spit you out of the church and spit you out of the family of God. That's, that's not what this teaching is about. That's not what is going on here. We need to be careful about hearing what Jesus is saying and, and how we interpret that and apply it. What Jesus is saying here, what he is saying here is that with your life, the decisions that you make and the places that you go and the people that you talk to, your deeds in life, be purposeful, be meaningful. Have them be honoring, glorifying to me. Have them be on mission. Don't just be sort of, meh lukewarm right just this middle sort of ugh. see because because cold cold water has a purpose right cold water has has meaning and purpose if you are hot living in laodicea a glass of cold water is is life-giving and refreshing cold water has a purpose so so be cold if you're gonna if you're gonna Live life and have deeds and, and do, have them be meaningful and purposeful. Or, or be hot. Hot water has a purpose, right? If you're cold, hot water warms you. If you're injured, it can soothe you. A, a glass of warm or a glass of hot water has purpose. Just like cold water. But this, this middle, this lukewarmness, it, it doesn't have any purpose it doesn't have any real healing power or refreshing power it's just ugh. what jesus is actually doing here is he's actually connecting some things that are going on in laodicea to help them understand how he sees them and what they have become because a town just north of laodicea aeropolis was known for its hot springs and these hot springs would bubble over, bubble over. They had these, these hot springs, and people would come for the, the hot water, and, and it would travel out of Aeropolis, and it would make its way down into Laodicea. And by the time it got there, the hot water had grown what? Lukewarm. And it had no more use. 
It would grow stagnant and just become like the environment around it that it was sitting in. Just south of Laodicea, there was this, one of my favorite places, Colossae. You guys remember Colossians? We studied that this summer. Colossae had this cold stream, this river that ran by it. You could go to Colossae and, and get cold water. But by the time that water moved from Colossae up into Laodicea, it grew what? It grew lukewarm. It had no purpose. It had become just meh, stagnant, not useful. You see what Jesus is doing here? Are you tracking here? He's saying, be useful, be purposeful. Don't just be like the environment around you that has no meaning and purpose and grows stagnant in life. So how did this happen? How did this happen to the church in Laodicea where they had, they had kind of lost their passion, lost their first love, lost the living lives that were countercultural and, and radical for Jesus. What, what had happened? Well, we get some answers here in Revelation 3, verse 17. Jesus says what the, the, how the Laodicean church describes itself, how these people, the people of God in Laodicea describe themselves. They say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. I am rich. I don't need a thing. Jesus is pointing out here that, that clearly their, their wealth and their pursuit of wealth and comfort had led them to just be lukewarm. Just like the environment that was all around them in finance and medicine and clothing, these, this pursuit of wealth had moved them to to just be lukewarm. It had actually moved them to, to not rely on Jesus any longer, but they are relying on themselves. I don't need a thing, Jesus. I'm good here. Look at the money I have. Look at how comfortable I am. I don't need anything any longer. And this wealth, this, this pursuit of wealth had moved them to be self-reliant. Prosperity had, had moved them to to put Jesus sort of on the side, right? To, to not rely on him, but to rely on their wealth. I have become rich. I don't need anything anymore. Church, we, we know that earthly riches can be dangerous to us, right? They can be dangerous to our souls. They can be dangerous to a church. We need to, to be honest that Earthly riches, the pursuit of wealth, can be dangerous to us because it causes us to, instead of relying on Jesus and pursuing him and doing deeds that honor him and glorify him and living counterculturally for him, it can move us to be reliant on ourselves. That we put our hope and our trust in riches and the comfort that they bring instead of Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul wrote a, a letter to a pastor. His name was Timothy. And in this letter, he describes this, some things about money that I think are helpful for us here. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. 
And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money has people wander away and pierce themselves with many griefs. He goes on to say to Timothy in verses 17 and 18, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Jesus himself tells a story about a sower, sower throwing seed, right? In Mark 4, he says in verse Mark in. Mark 4, verses 18 and 19. Still others, like a seed sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Church, we need to be honest with ourselves here that the riches of this world can choke us out, that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And church, this is what was happening in Laodicea. The wealth of the Laodiceans had deceived them. They believed the lie that they were, that they're good. I'm all good. I'm comfortable. I'm fine. I'm good. But the truth is they weren't, right? The rest of verse 17 says this. You're saying that you're, you're rich, that you have acquired wealth and you don't need a thing. But the rest of the verse says, but you, you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. The rest of verse 17 says, you do not realize where you're at spiritually. That you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The church in Laodicea may have been economically very rich, but spiritually they had become very poor. The wealth and the comfort and the security and the luxury had moved them away from their first love, had moved them away from following Jesus. And Jesus says it makes him It makes him sick. A few verses later, I'm going to get to this later and talk about this in a minute, but Jesus actually describes himself being at a door and knocking. He's he's knocking on a door. See, he he wants to get back in. He's he's knocking at the door saying, I I want to get back in, Laodicea. See, what had happened is the the Laodicean church at one point had this, this, this passion for Jesus. And this connection with him and this intimacy with him. And he's going to des- describe this in a minute. They, once they had this with Jesus, they were tight with Jesus. And then this, this pursuit of wealth and the love of money and, and the relying on that had, had taken Jesus out of those intimate places in their life, the, the living room and the dining room and the kitchen of their lives, and it had put Jesus where? Out on the porch. And he's out there. Let me back in. Let me back in. They were relying on themselves instead of relying on Jesus. And it just pushed him out 
of their lives. Church, there is a clear lesson for us here, is there not? Church, we, we live in a land that's very similar to Laodicea. We live in a land that's very similar to Laodicea, don't we? Finance. We receive national attention for how we creatively and effectively manage finance in this community. And we have incredible medicine, incredible facilities that do amazing medical work in people's lives. And we have luxury. We, have, we don't make black wool here, but we've got some pretty nice clothes, right? And access to things that, that are pretty luxurious. And church, hear me out. Hear me clearly here. There is nothing wrong with finance. And there is certainly nothing wrong with medicine. And, and there's nothing wrong with having some, some nice things to, to wear. But we need to be honest. We need to be really honest. They have the power to draw us away from our first love, which is Jesus, and put him out on the porch of our lives. They have the power to turn us, move us to just being ugh, lukewarm, where our deeds are just detestable because all we're doing is living like the people all around us. We're just swimming in the stagnant water of this suburban life. Right? All right, if we're, if we're down on ourselves right now, there's, there's some good news ahead. There's a beautiful part of this passage, really, really beautiful part of this passage. Let me move us there. Revelation 3, verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Don't just, just pass over this. Jesus is saying, Laodicea, you make me sick, but I love you. I love you, and I'm not going to give up on you, Laodicea. I'm calling you back into to fellowship with me. Come back to being close with me. Let's, let's get back to our first love. Let's get back to that intimacy that we once had together, where you're on fire for me, and you're, you're purposeful for me, and you're, you're living this, this beautiful life. You're this, this beautiful church. He doesn't give up on them. He, he declares that he loves them, and because he loves them, he's going to rebuke them and discipline them to get back into right standing with him. The first thing he does is he offers them gold for their spiritual poverty, and then he offers them salve for their spiritual blindness, and then he offers them clothing for their spiritual nakedness. Verse 18, he says, I, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Isn't this beautiful how Jesus reclaims these things that the Laodiceans would know about? You want finance? I got finance for you. I got real, true gold, my gold that's been refined in the fire. And you like the medicine and this salve that you can put out? I've got this real healing salve that, that makes you see me, gives you this beautiful picture. And I know you love those, those black fancy clothes that you wear. Well, I've got real clothing to give you. Come back to me. And church, beyond this, Jesus goes even a step further. 
He goes even a step further. Not only does he offer this counsel of, of gold and salve and clothing, he goes even a step further and he says, I'm going to give you my very self. He says, here I am. Verse 20, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He doesn't abandon them, church. And he doesn't abandon us. We turn and we act like idiots. And we pursue all these other things in our life. And Jesus doesn't just vomit us out. As much as we make him, as much as we become distasteful to him, he says, hey, I'm right here. I'm knocking and I want back in. I want back into your life. I want that, that passion and that connection with you and that intimacy with you that we once had. I'm here. And you can, you can put me out on the porch, but I want back in. I want to I be with you. And I, he, this beautiful picture that he, 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 he paints for us, right? I will come back in. I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. That's this, this picture of this connection, right? This intimacy, this fellowship with Jesus. It's interesting to note that often Revelation 3 verse 20 is used in evangelism, right? Like, you know, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. It's time to let him in. But the, the truth is, is that there might be some use in that, but the truth is that Jesus, the original use of this metaphor that Jesus is talking about is to self-sufficient Christians who are not relying on him. That's who, whose hearts he's knocking on to let them back in to his life. Finally, Jesus gives them a hope and a promise. Verse 21 says this, For the one who is victorious, the one who opens the door, lets him back in and has victory in their life with Jesus, the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Getting out of the stagnant blah of our lives and, and opening the door back into to letting Jesus be in our lives on a, on a daily basis where we, we want our lives to be like his, our character to be like his character, his concerns to be our concerns, his conduct in life to be our conduct in life. That makes us victorious, Jesus says. And, and, and we get to sit on his throne with him one day and reign. It's a beautiful picture of who we get to be with Jesus. So what about us? What about the church that's, that's hearing this now, that, that Jesus, let all who have ears hear. So if, if we're hearing what Jesus is saying, what, is it, what does this mean for us today? He mean for us today, in, in Revelation 3, 19, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And, and then he goes on to say, so be earnest and repent. So if, if Jesus is like the Laodicean church, if Jesus is, loves us and he's, he's disciplining us and rebuking us, and I believe that he is, what do we do? We, we repent. We repent. There's two parts to repentance. There's this confession, 
this apology, this confession that we give, we say, yeah, Jesus, I, I, I used to be hot. I used to be cold and purposeful for you. But the, the life that's all, all around me, the, the environment, the, the water that I swim in has made me lose track of you, has, has made me lukewarm. Where my deeds, I, they're all about me and they're, they're all about the life I live. They're not about being countercultural. They're not about being passionate for you. They're not about being meaningful and purposeful for you. There's just this blah. And I, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry that I've gotten to this place. I've pursued other things rather than pursuing you. And so we, we confess and we say sorry. And then the second part of, of repentance is that we, we change our behavior. We actually live differently. So we confess and we change. And one of the ways that we change is, is we become earnest. He says, be earnest and repent. What does is, what is being earnest mean? It means living with the sincere and devout conviction in our lives. Earnest comes from this, this intensity, this serious state of mind. The words associated with the word earnest are grave, serious, intense, devout, committed, dedicated, full-hearted. The opposite of, of earnest is apathetic, frivolous, and half-hearted. So being earnest, living earnestly, is the exact opposite of living lukewarm. Live earnestly. All right, often we would we'd kind of end with that message, right? But I, I was moved this, this week, actually, to, to try to provide some, some practical and specific things that we can do here at 501 Hillside and, and in the, the circles that we live to help us actually live earnestly. So let me offer a couple of specifics. The first thing that I want to offer is that we seek to be more generous. We seek to be more generous. If, if wealth can trap us, as God's word has said, God's word has said that, that earthly wealth can, can trap us move us away from relying on him, move us into relying on ourselves, can choke us out. One way that we can, we can deal with that is, is then we can give it away, right? We can give more away, be more generous. Be more generous in our lives where we give away more of our, our resources. We, instead of holding on to them so tightly, we, we say, all is yours, Lord. All is yours. We give more away. We, we, we come up with a, a plan that helps us understand money and our financial situation. And then we work to plan to, to understand it and control it and management. And one of those ways is that we give it away. Let me offer a resource. Get really practical here. It's a book I, I read this year with a few guys. We went through it together. Um, it's called God and Money. And it, it was particularly uh, helpful for me in understanding 
how God defines money and what God thinks of money, and then, and then how do we plan for? There's some really practical things in here. You know, the truth is, is that often in, in the, the church that we live in, in the community that we live in, people are, are more likely to talk about a lot of other kind of deep, dark secrets in their lives than they are to tell another person about how much money they made. And then to connect with another person and say, help me, help me not let this drown me. Help me not let this, this money I have choke me. I know two men in this church that meet together on a regular basis. I think it's quarterly or, or twice a year. <laughs> they actually bring their 1040s to the meeting. This is how much I made. This is how much I gave. Help me do more of the giving part. Help me steward this. Just this radical transparency with someone else saying, I, I want to do this better. I think it's a practical step. Read a book, get in, in a group, or, or connect with somebody else to help you manage money in your life. The second thing I would offer as a step to, to not grow lukewarm is to, to get outside the bubble that we often find ourselves in where we, we only connect with and relate with and do life with people who basically have the same life situation as us. They're kind of they're swimming in the same water we swim in and they're, they're driving to soccer practices and they're trying to get good grades and they're, you know, just this normal, just kind of, we get in this comfort zone, right? In this bubble sort of experience. And so the second step I would offer is to go and to learn. Go and learn. Read things that are written by people that aren't just like, like you, that are living a life that's different than you, that maybe doesn't, people that don't have the same resources that you have, the same life experience that you have. Guys, you can get a first-hand glimpse of this if you sign up to volunteer at our care center. Because, it, because it's a way of going even though you're coming here. You're going into the lives of people that live in our community that don't necessarily always live like we live. How many, Brenda, how many coats did we give away? We gave away almost 800 coats this week. I was here for just like a half hour, and the people coming into our building and the conversations, and guys, people were sharing to our volunteer team about their life situation and their need for a warm coat for themselves and their kids. And our our volunteer, our, they're entering into a conversation that, that they're not typically having in their lives. And I know that not everybody in this room lives just one way. I get that. But I'm talking for the vast majority of our, of our church. So get into places and, and have experiences with people that, that, that are different than you. What you'll often find that the Laodicean church was economically rich and spiritually poor what you'll often find is that those who are economically poor often are very spiritually rich. Get into relationship, conversation. Go on a trip. We're going to launch some trips this year to places that are not like this place. And you get to see and experience things and learn. Let it, let it soften your heart, move you to be different. The final thing I would offer, and then we're going we're gonna to sing to close our service, serve serve. So if we're giving away our resources, we're, we're also then giving away our time. Invest your time serving. Find a place in the church or 
or in a Christian organization where, where you can serve. I have found in my life when, when, I, move, when I am moved to serve others, where, when I give my time away in service of the church or another organization, I find my, myself, I, I find myself wanting to be more purposeful with my deeds. I, I find myself wanting to, to just not care so much about myself and my situation. I, I find myself wanting to, to honor God more. There are so many places to get plugged in and serve. I mentioned the, the care center. We've got all sorts of ministries. A, a group of, of guys from our church went and did some painting at Naomi's house, a, a place that's, that rescues women from sex trafficking. We have other organizations, Caring Network, By the Hand, uh, Outreach Community Ministries. I know many people serve in that place. Guys, look at your schedule and look at your time and build some time into serving others. These are just some practical things that we can do to grow earnest, to be earnest in our lives and avoid the, the lukewarm kind of blah suburban experience. All right, let me pray. Father God, we, we love you so much. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that we'd be inspired today to live differently, to think differently, to live differently, to, to renew our passion for you as our, our first love, to not grow lukewarm. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We stand and sing.